This intro is for one person and one person only. It is for one Stacey Keenan, the actress. Oh, who now, yeah, now from the, Step by Step. Look, listen, Stacey Keenan, who's now a DA in Los Angeles, has outed herself as a true crime-obsessed fan. She is not on social media anywhere. No. This is just a hello and hi, and hi. I loved my two dads so much. I loved my two dads so I much. loved you on Step by Step. We oh watched different television God. shows growing up. I, that's it. I love you, and thank you for being hey, here. Hey, Stacey. Thanks for doing hey, the good work. Stacey. We need you out there. Yes. Hi, Julian Bentavalli. Hey, Patrick Hines. Oh, fam. Hey, listen up. Well, I would really love listen it. Up. Listen no, up. No, 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 no. Start okay. over. <laughs> Start over. Hey, fam. How you doing? There you go. Oh, here, here, here. Um, I really want you to join the Facebook group. That's okay. all. I want you to join the Facebook group. There's like over 50,000 people in the group. It's all just like fun people making friends. Yeah. They're doing meetups. There's the Salt Lake City meetup, I believe. I was just going to say the Salt Lake City group is doing their, their brunch meetup like on the 29th if you want to go. Okay. <laughs> Salt Lake City. Uh, but it's just a really fun place. It's where we share our episodes. It's where, you know, it's just like your TCO fam in there, like getting to know each other. Yeah. True, True Crime Obsessed podcast discussion group. Go check it out. That's right. And join us on the Patreon where not only every week do you get a full ad-free bonus episode, we are now doing, we just did our first ever drag bingo. Drag bingo, which yes. Which we're doing monthly now and we're going to extend it because we only got to play like five games last time. Yeah, not enough bingo for no. my liking. And we took the prizes so seriously. We made like gift packs. It was really, really, really fun. We had um, a Jillian gift pack. It was amazing. It. And like we had boozy gift packs and we had Golden Girls gift packs. But we're doing like fun cocktail classes. But you get all the extra bonus episodes. You get ad-free versions of these episodes. Yeah. We're doing Love Has Won now. We figured out how to do The Curious Case and Italian Grace. So you're getting all 12 episodes of that <laughs> bad boy. Um, yeah. We do like all the wild crime series. Yeah. And, you know. It's everything on Netflix, Hulu, you know, HBO Max. The Love Has Won is outrageous. I know. It's, it, is, it's, it is truly the, I think it is the craziest thing. Thing we've ever covered. I agree. I mean, that's why it's been. Yeah, it's been so. It's like wild. Well, anyway, we we have some things to focus on <laughs> right now, but we will get to love is one in the second recording today. All right, what are we talking about today? So this is it's called Candy and Betty. It's like a special, like documentary special that's on uh, HBO Max, I believe. People Magazine investigates. Yeah, sometimes they investigate things. Who knew? And, but I, you know, I was really glad to find this because I couldn't find a documentary about the story that I think is so wild: the murder yeah. of Betty Gore. In this quiet little suburban house on this quiet little suburban street, you have a bloodbath that looks like Manson. The axe marks on counted to 41 total. It sounds kind of like a bad horror movie. My brother had answered the phone call, and the guy on the other line said, I killed her. Are we dealing with a psychopath? She's having an affair with somebody's husband. Somebody ends up dead. The events of Friday, June 13th, 1980, and the ensuing trial continue to capture public attention. Pleading uh, guilty or not, not guilty. Not guilty. Ladies and gentlemen, we have quite a story to tell. We opened with him saying that this case caught our attention because this is the story of, quote, good church-going people who got caught up in this awful, senseless, brutal murder. Can I just say something? Sure. Can we stop saying this? Because, like, religion doesn't always equal good. And I it's know. like, how many documentaries have we covered where someone was, like, posing as a pastor? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like, it's like, it's such an easy cover. Give me a break. Right. But I do want to say, and also not all religious you know people. What? I'm just she saying. She's had it. Julian's really had it today, everybody. Saying. Like, it's an easy cover. So, like, yes. don't get fooled by it. Don't. Um, Remember Father Heal Me? Yes, I I do remember. <laughs> but I do want to say, I think it's important. Betty's family is here yeah, and telling her, her story. And that's really important. Like her sister-in-law and her friends. So there's a lot of Betty here. And this show, like FX did one and HBO did one. Like yeah, dramatized. Yeah, like dramatized version. Like Jesse Plemons was in it of this. So it's really nice to hear Betty's story told by the people who loved her because yes. a lot of it got lost in, and I love Jesse Plemons, but like a lot of it who got lost. Who is that? Um, he's Landry from Friday Night Lights. He's just in Killers oh. of the Flower Moon. Who does he play in the, in the show? He plays um, Alan, Betty's husband. Piece of shit. Yeah. But I got to tell you, like, I think that one of the reasons also that this story is so, was covered so much is because it happens on Friday the 13th. Yeah, shut up. Who cares? I, like, what a coincidence. Let's not You make just it. looked me in the eye and told me to shut up. You just meant like the royal I, you. The, Royal. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Let's get to that because I have things to say. About okay, all okay, this. all right. So we're in Norwich, Kansas. Growing up in Norwich, Kansas, it was just great. The town was 500 people. It had a bank, had a grocery store, had a nice little cafe, and everybody knew everybody. 
everyone knew everybody. The whole the whole idea is it's a very small town. It's like a one stoplight town where everybody knew everybody. Everybody was friends with everybody. Yeah. And we meet Betty's brother, Ron Pomery. Yeah. And he really explains their life growing up. It was a family of five. Their mom, Bertha. Their dad, Bob. Richard was the younger brother. Ron yeah. was the middle. And Betty was the oldest. And Richard is also here. Yes. And they grew up on what was their grandparents' farm. Like, we get the sense that these people had been here forever. We learned there was, like, no indoor plumbing. Yeah. They were, like, real salt-of-the-earth people because yes. they all always had a job to do growing up on a farm. You know, yes. they were always, like, all hands on deck. Everyone, It was, like, a real team effort. And they say, like, they didn't have any running water. And at one point, they had, like, an outhouse. I mean, they didn't have any running water or indoor plumbing. One of her brothers says it was a really long walk to the outhouse during the winter. Like, this is no joke. I gotta tell you, we are smack dab in the middle of winter right now. I know it's your favorite time of year. Yeah. I It is so cold. It's been really cold Walking from my heated bedroom to my heated bathroom <laughs> is too far. If I, I lived on this farm in a day and age in, like, the middle of the country where it is balls freezing. Yeah. I would not go to the bathroom from October to May. <laughs> I don't think that's true. I, I would just, I, you know what? I would have invented a North plumbing. Yeah, you, you either would have just become like a plumbing genius yeah. because you would have just, you couldn't have taken Thank it you much for longer. Believing in me, or you would have gotten kicked out of the house. Yeah, 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 yeah. One I or would, the other. Oh, There's no I, middle ground. Like you see the dis, like it's, it's too cold, Jillian. It it's is cold. too cold. It is cold. It's your fault. It is because you're a witch and Join you love the, the winter. My birthday is the solstice. I don't I know, know what to tell you. I know. It's okay. I'm, I'm really giving you a lot of shit for it this year. <laughs> I've been blamed for a lot of things. Yeah. The winter thing, I can't really. Explain. You know, there's truth. And to you know what? Most of the other stuff you didn't do either. <laughs> no, I didn't. No, I didn't. Travel down the road and back again. Girl, Dipsy is back. That just means like TikTok. It's J- Jillian's sexy voice o'clock. Well, yeah, it's you know wellness and stories and sleep stuff. <laughs> Sleep stuff. How sexy is that? Dipsy makes sleep stuff sexy. <laughs> Tell us everything. Tell me what Dipsy is. Talk to me like I'm a dummy who doesn't know. Okay, I'll talk to you like a human, okay. respectfully. Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of short and sexy audio stories designed by women for women. And they're like artsy and cool fam. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes with realistic characters. You can discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flanks, and hot and heavy hookups. Yeah, there's this growing library of fantasy series that they have. So we're talking like vampires and Greek gods and like fairy smut (gasps) and you can explore all of it. It's very like if you read A Court of Thorns and Roses which I did, I think it's a lot of that. It's like sexy. smut. That is my drag name. I'm so into the fairy smut. Let's go. (laughs) I'm so into the fairy smut. That would have been like my screen name when I was a teenager. (laughs) Witchy fairy smut. Fam, new content is released every week so in between listening to your favorite stories again and again you can always find something new to explore. Yeah, and they also have sleep stories and wellness sessions and sexy written stories to read if you're into the old school way of doing things by reading something on a tablet or whatever. So hot and sexy, Dipsy. I'm into it. Love it. Also, for listeners of TCO, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash TCO. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to D-I-P-S-E-A stories.com slash T-C-O. Dipsystories.com slash TCO. Get into that fairy smut. Fairy smut. I'm excited. Can we hurry this up? I, <laughs> you gotta get I home. suddenly have plans. You're very <laughs> suddenly have big big plans. <laughs> Betty was very involved in school growing up. She loved yes. the choir, the student council, like anything that got her involved with other people. Which I know? love that about her. Like that's the reason I became a drama club kid. It wasn't like I had like Oscars in my future. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was just like an opportunity to like meet Who other are kids. Marissa Tomei. <laughs> Come on, my cousin Vinny. I know. You know, there's the, the theory is that she didn't actually win that Oscar. That is such bullshit. It's such she bullshit. She earned every I inch know, of that thing. And if you don't believe me, go watch that movie again. It's I know. Excellent. She's excellent. It's excellent and she's excellent in it. But it's also why I played the sports. I even like the sports because I got to be around the other kids. Yeah. You know? How long did that last? I, until, until, uh, until high school. Which what is, sport were you playing? Soccer. I was a fullback because I was the chubby kid. You don't have to do a lot of running, but I was really good at the fullback. That, I blocked that a lot of goals. Defense. Oh, so it's that's the defense. defense. Yeah, you don't get the you don't get the glory of the center striker. Okay, but you do. Look at you. You do, but you do get to be, be on the field. Okay, you know what I mean. You do get to. You get, you're the last line of defense. It's like you then the goalie. And how did that work out? I was pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Good. I was pretty good. God, that would stress me out so much. Stress me out so much. Pat Pomeroy is here, and she's Betty Gore's sister-in-law. And she says something that I think is so important to note. The first thing that she saw about Betty was her smile. It was beautiful. She had just a warmness about her. She was easy to get to know. 
and she was a very caring person. Betty was super warm and easy to get to know, and she had this amazing smile. And I think that's really important because all of these like dramatized shows and all the other stories that yeah. are out there about her sort of make her seem like this boring Debbie Downer nightmare. Yeah. And I think it's important to note that that's not who she was, and there were definitely like mental health issues here, like postpartum depression that we'll get yes. into. Yes. So this whole like, oh, there's Betty moping again. Right. And, like, you know, Alan had to have a wandering eye because she was such a bummer. Like yeah. that's not real. No. That's not true. No. And, and every... it's very disrespectful. Well, to because her. we also learn when she gets. Pregnant, like she loves her kids. She yes. loves being a mom. It's it's interesting too because we get no video footage of her at all. Like we're on Patreon yeah. right now, we're covering the twelfth victim, which takes place in the fifties, and there is so right. much footage of these people yeah. that I'm not. They were used... like learning to use the cameras as yeah, it was happening. Literally, truly. I mean that's literally true. Yeah. But I'm like not used to having these documentaries about these people where you never really get to see them walking. You yeah. never see them animated in any in any way. Yeah. So we really do only see her in pictures, but she seems like a gas to me. Yeah, and you know, like she had dreams of becoming a teacher. So again. Yeah. Loved kids and loved being around people. And so she went to college for that. And yeah. while in college, she needed a math tutor. And she was always great at math, but for some reason, she needed a little extra help. And I would just like to make a note here. Yeah. People in school or like with kids in school, can I just make a quick PSA? Well, you're looking at one right here. Extra help helped me so much. Daisy like, it's has not tutoring three times name. a week. The, the tutors and extra help. And it took me a really long time to learn that. But yeah. once I was like medicated yep. and realized it was ADHD and like in college, like anytime there was office hours or extra help, I went it. I mean, I always had tutors growing up because yeah. being undiagnosed, like I always needed that. But like once I knew what, like how to use that yeah. resource that was offered to me, let me tell you, it was invaluable. It changed everything. That that's all. Just a little PSA. Like, do it. And even if you think, like, oh, I'll get it, you know, like, yeah. Betty realized, I kind of could use some help in math. And she took the extra help. I'm just saying it be, It can be invaluable. No matter how much you think you need it, yeah. it's there for a reason. It also I just tells it. us about Betty because, like, wanting to be a teacher is just, like, such a noble thing. Yeah, of course. You know what I mean? Like, it's, like, she just wants to, like, give back to the kids and give back to the community. It really yeah. tells us something about her. Like, how could she teach math if she's struggling with it herself? Exactly. Smart. Smart. But we learned that she gets more than just an education. She got her MRS. <laughs> What is an MRS? <laughs> it's like the old. I think it's like a thing we don't say anymore because it's kind of like I was like Mrs. Well, MRS. After, you go. You don't go to school for your like MBA. You go for your MRS. Oh, the fuck <laughs> out of here with that! <laughs> I did. She got her MRS. Like when was the last? Th- I don't even think they referenced that in Mad Men. No. Like when was that a thing? <laughs> but it's true. She met her husband. She met Alan. Alan is her tutor. Yeah, Alan was the math tutor, and she recognized like he was really smart. He was like. Even as her brother says he was destined to, you know, go bigger and better. Like, he yes. was just a super smart guy. And he ends up being a piece of shit, but everybody still speaks so nicely about him. Well, I know. get there. <laughs> so, it's 1970, a year after graduation. Betty and Alan get married. Yes. And three years later, Betty gets pregnant. And we hear, like, all these beautiful stories. Like, pregnancy, honestly, she glowed through it. And then when Elisa was born, Betty just lit up. Pride and joy. Of course, being the first grandchild, my mom was just ecstatic. And their first daughter is Elisa. And Betty, just like people are saying, you know, she lit up. Elisa was her pride and joy. Yeah. And so with the growing family, Alan accepts a job with a tech firm in Dallas. Didn't you say he was he worked for Texas Instruments? Well, because this guy, Jim Atkinson, who's the co-author, I guess, of this book, is like, tech was booming in Dallas. It was 1973. <laughs> I was like, what? And they're like, they called it the Silicon, the Silicon Prairie. And I'm like, I know. wait, what? And then I, I was like, wait. The Texas Instruments calculator, like that must have been where yes. it took me a second for the pieces to slowly yeah, fall yeah, into yeah. place in my brain. But I was like, oh, right, like the TI-83 or whatever right, that yeah. like fancy we like, talked math calculator Because you was. covered this in one of the after parties. And we were saying like the, the Texas Instruments were the graphing calculators that right. I couldn't afford. I was one of the poor kids who had to use the ones that the teachers had in the classroom that you couldn't take out of the classroom. Yeah, but they all had like names on them. I yes. was always breaking. Because yes. they, they, they came with like a little case that they yes. like, lived in the case, and, like, like you a cover. Could, I remember they were like revolutionary. Like you, like we used to have to use graph paper to like chart these things. It was like a graphing calculator. A is graphing what they calculator. It. So it was like the first. Like it was like before like mobile computers. Yeah, and sometimes you couldn't use them for the test right? because you'd oh, be yeah. cheating. And yeah. I'm like, I'm failing this test anyway. <laughs> yeah. I am pre-diagnosed, unmedicated. <laughs> there was also a game. What was it called? Drug wars. Drug wars. <laughs> yeah, there was like a hack in the game. Oh my god! A hack in the computer where you could like go. It was horrible. It was wildly inappropriate. <laughs> Drug- I do not condone What's inappropriate this. about drug wars, Jillian? I mean, it was just like, it, I'm not even going to get into it. I'm okay, going to get in trouble. Great. But there used to be a game. I don't even know how we found it. 
Like, how did we hack the... I don't know. Someone told us about... I don't know. And, and I can see Alan secretly put... You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to put in a game <laughs> called Drug Wars. That, that sounds insane. But this sounds like, like an urban legend. I, I swear I played it. I was I was very bad at it, if it's any consolation. Oh, my God. Uh, but I, 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 I like tripped up on it. I was like, tech was booming in Dallas in 73, you say. <laughs> Here we are. So Betty and Alan moved to Wiley, Texas in 1977. The first time we drove up to their house... It was just little rows of houses that were well-manicured yards, just pristine. The choice to live where they lived was of more security and more small-town feel. It's got that small town feel. And yeah, like I mean, like we see the house like today. Yeah. The house still stands. Yeah. I don't know about I don't that. Know about that it's one of those things where I love at the end of these documentaries where something horrible happens in a house and they just demolish and it's it. Like, yeah, and that house has been burned to the ground. Yeah, not this time. But just a little bit more about Betty as a teacher. She loved it. She loved Valentine's Day with the kids yeah. and like making Valentine's for each other. And someone says, like, she knew if a kid, quote, wasn't getting enough attention at home. And then Betty would go out of her way to make sure that the kid was either accepted or feeling safe safe or like had everything they need. It was one of the hardships of COVID where they were talking about the kids were like, that's the only place they, like school is the only uh-huh. place they get meals. They get school a meal, is the only yeah. place they see an adult that cares about yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. Like, and that's, you know, that is like, a, they don't, they don't pay you extra for that. That, no. that. that you just do because that's the kind of person that you are. Absolutely. You like, know? was that in any of the docu-series? Right. I don't, I, you know, like the dramatized versions. I don't, I don't know. No, when you got a perm like we got on on our killer here, I yeah. imagine you spent a lot of time focused on that. And it's like it's just it's I don't know. I was just like more of this. Yes, I want to yes. know more about her. Well, we, speaking of, we learned that she's not just thriving at home and at work. She's also a very active member of her local parish. It's the Lucas Methodist Church. Betty would help put the programs on for the church youth group. She liked the social aspects of church. It's through the church that the Gores meet their good friends. Pat and Candy Montgomery. And this is where she and her husband, Alan, meet their new good family friends, Pat and Candy Montgomery. Right. So their daughters are the same age. Which I was, I made a note, like, as a parent, you, like, it doesn't even matter if you like each other. They're together all If time. you have kids who are the same age, you're going to be hanging out. Yeah. You know? It's like something, yeah, of course. So by 1979, Betty has their second daughter, Bethany. Yes. Again, she was the life of the party, little Bethany was. Like, yeah. everything is so great. Everyone is so happy. Like, Betty Gore has a strong foundation in this town. She's a teacher. Yeah. The, all the parents and the students know her. She's part of the, the church community. Like, she's thriving. Yeah. Yeah. She's doing great. Everything like like and I'm, she I wonder if she wakes up in the mornings and she's just like I fucking do I'm fucking doing it. I'm like, fucking Betty Gordon. I'm yeah, fucking doing it. Like that it. guy from like God I'm awesome. <laughs> yeah. I'm so great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I'm putting good out into this world. Yes. Which is what she was doing. 100%. She's teaching and then doing like spiritual shit. Like come on. Yeah, no, she's do, you're doing great, Betty. So then we cut to June 13th, 1980 and everyone wants to tell us 600 times that it's also Friday the 13th. I know. Stop trying to make this extra spooky. I it's agree. Just, like it's a coincidence fine but I think we can move on. Okay, you're like, real mad about it. I just think it's like, because they, it gets worse later on about like trying to make this an extra spoof. What is scarier yeah, than someone you know? Can, like, it's just so shitty. It's really bad. God. So that night, Alan is out of town on a business trip. We learned he travels a lot. Yeah. And he's calling home and he can't get a hold of Betty. So he calls their good friend, Candy Montgomery. And Candy tells Alan that morning she'd driven to Betty's house to pick up a bathing suit for Betty's daughter, Elisa. She does have Elisa who's spending the night, but she hasn't spoken to Betty since stopping by the house earlier that morning. And I haven't seen Betty since, and she was in really good spirits when I saw her. And they say Alan is, like, confused by this, but he hangs up and goes out to dinner with his colleagues. Right. Which is, like, this is 1980. This is decades before cell phones and right. texting. We're not in constant communication. It's, like, not that weird that they haven't connected yet that I day. Have, I have that, like, ex- exact same note to say, like, everyone keep in mind it's 1980. People were just unreachable. Yes. And, like, yes. The, the way we live now wasn't even an idea to them, even, like, a tech god like right. Alan. So <laughs> there's, Who's, like, inserting, like, druggy... <laughs> video games into calculators. I don't know who did So it. that you, who does not need another thing to be distracted by, can find it in the middle of calc. Oh my God, I just got transported back <laughs> to being 15 years old, being told about all my distractions. If you cared half as much about your school oh. as you did about your music or your this. Or like playing drug wars I in the know. middle of your private school afternoon. I never really could like grasp the game. <laughs> totally. I was always like, what? Yeah. Like, but it's whatever. I could never figure out how to spell boobs on the calculator and by like turning it upside down. It's 8008. Oh, right. 
And you five. Know, that makes a lot of five sense to me now. And I'm sorry, five, just, eight, just zero, real zero, quick, eight. what does it sound like when you call the 1-800-BOOBS hotline? one 900 And then what does she say? <laughs> what, do you, what does she say when you get her on the phone? Hi. <laughs> I'm Jessica. <laughs> It'll be one ninety nine for the first minute. I and then one thousand dollars for each additional. It's never worth it, you know. I could listen to you do that all day long. I could listen to it all day. Oh God. So after dinner, Alan calls home again. No answer. And now he's me, right? Well, she should absolutely be home. It's after dinner. She has a toddler. Like, this is cause for concern. He waits 15 minutes. He calls again. No answer. Now he calls his neighbor, Richard Parker. Which is, it's 10 o'clock. It's the only thing you can do in 1980. Yeah. And again, what I was saying before, it's like, they didn't have any comparison. Right. It's like, like to the time that it is now. Right, yeah. Alan is doing everything he can do. He's calling the only number he has for her. Yeah. Now he's calling friends and neighbors. He's at, like, it's just, it's weird to think about now but I he know. did every, right now like it, this but is the only thing he can do this is the day and age when like you would have all of your neighbors phone numbers written on a sheet of paper taped inside the cabinet in your kitchen like mm-hmm. you had th- th- this was how we kept each other safe back then poison control right. and emergency oh, truly, number yeah. truly like my, I remember my friend Bethany I remember uh-huh. like opening her cabinet one day and seeing like the list of everybody uh-huh. on their street and their like address name and phone right, number right, right. you know yeah. and so like that's just what you did so, so that's what he does he asked him to go check on the house and make sure everyone is okay. And also, I'm like, oh, my God, oh, my God. Like, we know where Elisa is, their their older child. Yes. But we don't, like, all I could think about is Bethany, is the Bethany? 18-month-old or whatever. Yeah. So Richard goes over to the house. He sees that the garage door is up. He also sees that lights are on. But he doesn't go knock on the door. Alan's like, go knock on the door. Break down the door. You have my permission. Bitch, go knock on the door. And I was like, Richard, I'm going to tell you this one time you have permission to break into my home. Yes. Like, why yes. Why would the lights be on and the garage door open, but my wife Isn't answering and my, the- my several-month-old baby is are in the, I don't know where they are, yeah. break into the Get house. Get in there, Richard. Like, thank you for asking, I guess, but yeah. st- like, politely but stop should go it. out the window. Yes. Kick the door in and see what's going on. I, yes. And so that's sort of what happens. So Alan, like, while this is happening, Alan calls in more people for help. Lester, Lester's here. Lester's a volunteer firefighter. Their friend Jerry is there, too. We have footage of Lester like from the news from like 20 years ago. It's now it's like Lester, Richard, and another neighbor named Jerry. They say they all meet up in front of Betty and Alan's house. Like this is unusual for this to be happening in this neighborhood. Right. And I think these men are scared. I think they're scared too. And also, like, n- n- I and I don't mean this as a joke, and I mean I do not mean this disrespectfully. If there's a dead body on the other side of that door, I do not want to be alone. I'm if if you no. need me to go find out, I'm gonna fucking find out for yeah, you. Yeah. But I do not want to be alone when I make that discovery. Yeah, and that's what I think they're scared of what they're going to see. 100%. Because it, it's, you can feel it. And, and you also, something like, bad happens. don't hear the baby crying. The ba- I'm going to tell you right now, the baby's, the baby's okay. fine. The baby's she's okay. okay. She, I wouldn't say fine, but she's okay. She's okay. She, yeah. will, she will she's be alive. okay. She's, yeah. she's not. So anyway, the neighbors break into the house pretty easily, by yeah. the way. They just like open the door. It doesn't seem like these doors are hard to kick no. open. It's no. like, th- this is the one town where they don't fucking, lock where they the actually doors. lock their doors yeah. in 1977, where they we can't just walk into Betty's house. Exactly. So they walk in, the three men. They hear Bethany crying. And they say, one of them goes down the hall to the bedroom and they say, it's Bethany. She was red-faced, horse soiled. This poor baby had been crying all day long. I mean, the, fa- the it was the word horse that really got it's heartbreaking. me. heartbreaking. Because that baby has been screaming and so for hours. For hours. For, I mean, we're going to find out like what it's now after 10 o'clock and we learn this, this whatever happened like in the middle in of the, the afternoon. It's been like yeah. seven hours. Yeah, it's heartbreaking. Of the baby screaming. So Richard picks up Bethany, gets the hell out of there and, yeah. and, and brings Bethany home to his wife because yeah. she'll let, let the do. women do the work. Like, seriously. Yes, 100%. Like, and she does. Yeah. So meanwhile, the other men search the house. So Lester opens it just a hair, just a crack. And what he finds is an absolute bloodbath. They describe the scene as a bloodbath. It's so awful because there are crime scene photos yeah. and they show them but they they're they're so blurred out. It's you it's you're just seeing a pool of red. It's it's I mean, it must have been so shocking. Yeah. It's very shocking. It's very, there is just blood everywhere. It's this poor woman died a very, very brutal death. Yeah. Can I just say also, Lester says to the news, I've seen lots of people die in lots of different ways, but this was the worst. To which I said, Lester, what has your life been? He's a volunteer firefighter. Oh, man. Yeah. 
Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, this is real bad. Lester, yeah. Lester's seen a lot, and he says this is the worst. This is the worst. And so Lester, like, so in the middle of, of oh. them sort of discovering the scene, Alan calls the house again. Like, the phone rings in the kitchen, and Lester picks the phone up. And I immediately, my thought is like, oh, my God, oh my, you're going to have to tell him. Yeah. Oh, my God, oh, my God. So Lester, the volunteer firefighter, has to be the one to tell his friend and neighbor I mean, that he, his wife has been murdered. He opens by saying the baby the is fine. fine. And then he says, what about Betty? And he says, she's dead. And now Lester right now tells Alan that Betty has been shot. We will find out later that that's not true. And at the right. time, though, that's what Lester tells Alan. And not for any shady reason. Like, everyone yes. is overwhelmed and traumatized. And I don't think you could even, even seeing the scene that they were looking at, I don't think you even imagine what actually happened to her could be true. Right. So I think he's just saying she must have gotten shot in the stomach and bled out. Like Yes. Because Alan is asking questions, I'm sure, on the other end. And Lester, yes. like, did, did what... He did in that moment, and it wasn't for any, like, he's not lying. No, Lester of course. didn't do yeah, anything No, here. oh, God, no. no. No, 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 So the police are called, obviously. Yes. Steve shows up. Steve Defabaugh. On June 13th, 1980, I was notified about this homicide. And so I drove down there sometime after midnight. And when I got there, there was already a crowd of people. News media was already there. And I said, oh, crap crowds of people are there. How, so I guess maybe like, I mean, there's three men that found the body. So I guess somebody told somebody and somebody called everybody in town. Yeah, I think like Betty's dead and, the, and here's the baby who's been yeah. crying all day. Like, I guess word gets around. I don't know what Dingbat called the press. I mean... Like, that's never... That that should never be your... Oh, I know what I'll do. Right, not the let's right Let's call move. the Tribune. No. Like, let's not do that. And, and Steve right now is standing in front of the house again, like, reliving this night, like, in real yeah. time for us. And he needs to secure the house immediately. And so he does the only thing he can do, which is lock the door with scotch, scotch tape, tape and index cars that say do not enter. I was like, I don't understand. Is Are the police in this town underfunded? Uh, they must be. Or it's just like, there's a crowd of people. Yeah. He's got to... He's to make some kind of statement right. <laughs> as quickly as he can. He and here scotch we are. tapes the door shut. Yeah. Okay. Look, whatever you got to do, Inspector Steve. So he walks in. He says he heads down the hallway. He sees blood. He gets to work collecting evidence right away. He starts in the utility room, and this is where he finds the body. And he says the body is on the floor by the freezer. And he said there was so much blood, it had already started coagulating. It had pulled up to half an inch deep. Yeah. And so clearly not a bloodshot wound, right? No. And then they find an axe. And then they notice the axe marks on Betty's body, which is horrifying. The victim, half her face was eviscerated. She had wounds all over her body. It's the other wall over on the right side. There was an axe laying there. We can see they had blood all over the axe handle and over the bit. And then, of course, if you look at the body, even a layman can look at the marks on the body and see there were chalk marks. There were wounds all over her body. And we'll learn that this crime happened seven, eight hours ago. Yeah. So she just laid there and just bled out. Right. And so they see a bloody footprint under one of Betty's legs. And it's yes. a really small footprint. So they say it's either a woman or a youth. And I'm like, two youths? Like, I know. I know. Uh, or a youth. I know that's a word people you say. You can't but... hear the word youth and not think two youths. I mean. You know what I mean? Thank you. Yeah. I, I mean, I immediately thought of it. Thank Maybe you. because I knew I was going to be doing this with you and I know how much you love my cousin <laughs> Probably, yeah. And you are convinced that Marissa Tomei legally won that off. Oscar. Like, what's the, <laughs> hold on a second. What's the real argument? The real argument what, is that. she's a little too pretty? No, 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 And no. too funny to win an Oscar? The real argument was that the per, the presenter read the last name instead of saying the person who actually won. What other Tomei was nominated? I, no, no, no. Read the last name on the list. Like, and the nominees are Julian Pantavale, blah, 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 uh, Marissa uh, Tomei, uh. and then just reread the name Marissa Tomei. But no. they were like, Pricewaterhouse was like, that's not how that would work. I was going to say, know what I mean? and we've, we've seen this since. Yes. yes right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> We've had mistakes like this again. Oh my God, that's right. When they they miscalled the the uh, best picture, right? Yeah. Oh my God, it was the gay one. The gay one actually won. Moonlight. Oh, Moonlight was won. the actual winner. Yeah. Yeah. You look confused. You don't think gay should win Oscars? Interesting. <laughs> no, tell us more about that. <laughs> don't turn the shit around on me. Marissa Tomei won fair and square. So as horrible as this is, the yeah. thing about this scene is that there's very good usable evidence, right? Because yes. the cops just keep finding more things to 
to use in this case around the house. Like there's blood in the carpet in the bathroom. Yeah. There's blood in the bathtub well, and lots of hair in the bathtub. And the hair is not from the victim. They are saying somebody cleaned up. Mm-hmm. Somebody like did this horrible crime, then went and like took a shower. Yeah. Like, oh my God. So they tried to clean They're themselves up. Ghoulish, because if I you know. think about what that scene is, not only when you are, are taking this axe and beating this woman to death, there's a baby there's screaming a baby. in the background. You're now in the shower, cleaning yourself up, trying to get away with this murder, and the baby is screaming. Yeah. There's no question about there's it. No, there's no question about it. What are you, humming in the shower? Is oh it a quick God. shower? Oh my God. Fuck you. Right. So the more they look at this house. I went into the master bedroom and I saw some film, 35 millimeter film, but it had a $20 bill stuck up. It probably wasn't a home invasion or a robbery or burglary because what good thief would leave $20 there? If this wasn't a robbery, then who would have attacked a well-loved teacher at home with her baby? This is a gruesome, vicious crime, and it seems very personal. So that like something something happened or something went awry or a conversation went bad. Like this was not just, oh, she must be home at 1230 in the afternoon. Like right. that's a robber. No. No, they're saying the it's a bloodbath that looks like something like the Manson family would have done. And we know how bloody those yeah, murders yeah, were. Yeah. So like whoever did that, like the only motive was to kill this person. Yeah. You know? There's like cash laying out there, credit cards, like right. there's also blood on the newspaper. Okay. We're gonna do, we're going down this path. We're, we're gonna do this because i i like how victim focused it is but i take issue with the friday the 13th bullshit (laughs) and this because it's open to the movie section right and what movie came out on that very day the shining right you know what weapon is used in that movie an An axe so they're like is it a coincidence and i'm like yes the only thing i'll say in in the defense of the investigators here is that it's 1980 and there's very little to go on it's like you know we don't like we they don't have the promise of dna it's like we need to look at so they're like oh is it a copycat killing no no it's (laughs) Let me tell you why. Because I know it's a book, so I Google. Yeah, yeah. Like, what is the we- is is the weapon that Jack uses in The Shining the same in the book and the movie? And it's not. Oh, he uses, like, a machete or something? In, in the book, in the movie, it's very famously the axe. Yeah. But in the book, it's a mallet. Oh. So the killer would have had to see in the movie first thing in the morning. Yeah. Which didn't happen, and then be a copycat killer and after like, the 10 a.m. showing of The Shining. It's just, like, a random one-off murder. Like, you know what I mean? You guys. You're right. No. We're reaching a little, we're reaching a little far here. I mean, here. real big reach. Yeah. Betty's family, of course, is devastated. Yeah. But they call the family in Kansas to tell them. Right. And their first goal is we need to know where Elisa and Bethany are. We need to protect them. Like, where are they? Are they in danger? Is the killer coming back for them? Like, right. th- that's their focus. Yeah. And it's like, Pat, the sister-in-law is one who keeps driving home. She's like, all I could think about, like, because the police relayed the brutality of the killing to the family yeah. for some reason. And Pat's like, that was awful. But all we could think about was Bethany. Mm-hmm. Bethany would have been in the house. Like, the whole we, time. Like, all, and now the kids are going to be the sole focus. Right. What are we going to do? Like, their Good. mother is dead. Right. You Good. know? So, Betty's family gets to Texas. Yeah. And they are immediately suspicious of Alan, the husband. Yeah. Now, they're saying... Betty's family are kind of taken aback at how Alan is behaving. He does not strike them as being appropriately grieving. I felt his concern for the girls. But then as things go on, you just didn't see the emotion that you expect. These seem very well put together. He's not appropriately grieving. My only thing I would say here is that he was very concerned the night before. Calling, 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 then calling Candy, then calling the neighbor, then calling back and finding out that his wife is dead. Also, like, Alan took the night in Dallas or whatever. Like, it seems like he came back the next morning. He came back right away. He did. Okay. And so, but what they're saying, and we will get into this later, but what they're really driving home is, like, something's up with Alan. Yes. Yes. What what is up with him? Like, yes, yes, he was on business. Yes, he came home immediately. Yes, he called around. But, like, something's up with that guy. It's like... Like I don't know what it is. He didn't do it, but there's something going. There's something going know? on here. Yeah, Alan, what do you know? God yeah, damn. yeah. Well, it's also like Alan. What do you wonder? More, more like uh-huh. it because it's like I don't think that Alan like hired anybody to kill his wife, but no. like, what is going on here? Right. So this is where we get like you know Betty's family is fully cooperating with the police. Everyone's fingerprinted. Yes. Like everyone wants to get to the bottom of this and also protect those poor kids. Yeah. And the whole town is terrified. It's a super small town. Like, is there a killer amongst them? Yeah. Yeah. And they don't know who it is. Right. Because they're like. 
well, you know, we meet people who worked at the school and they're like, we know Betty. She had no enemies. Right. Who would do this to Everybody her? Everybody loved her. Everybody She's loved her. She's a pillar her. of the community. Yeah. And people say that a lot, but she was. She was a teacher. She was in the church community. Like, she, come on. Who would do this to Betty? Which, which, and am I next? Is right. what everyone's because thinking. Because they're thinking, like, this has to be a random act of violence so then any one of us could be next. Right. And so you better get this guy before they come after my family. Right. Or, you know, my husband's away on business too, or I, I have a little baby too. You know, it's yeah. just people start spiraling. So they're sitting around the house and the phone rings and one of the brothers answers it. It was somebody trying to say that they had killed Betty and they were going to harm the little girl too. Richard just couldn't handle it and hung up the phone. I killed her. And I'm going to get the little kids too. Like, this is <gasps> fucking insane. It's insane. And so the Texas Rangers get involved and they're like, look, this psycho is obviously going to call back to keep taunting you. Next time he does, you got to keep him on the phone. Now, remember, this is the 1980s where famously you need the guy on the phone for 15 minutes in order to trace well, the call. Well, the cops, like, they're just like, we'll just wait. Like, the cops yeah. just sit in the house. They're literally waiting by the phone, waiting for the phone to ring. Because it's 1980 and there's no other clues to go on. They yeah. don't, what, like, what else are they going to do? Right. So they do call back. Yeah. Richard, the brother, keeps them on the phone for the appropriate 10 minutes. How on earth do you keep this guy talking for right. 10 minutes? I mean, you know, yeah. like Richard, you are a fucking hero. Amazing. And they're able to trace the call and they, they trace it to a mental hospital 50 miles away and the, the cops jump in their cars. Woo, woo, yeah. woo. And they drive the 50 miles and they find out the man who made the call has never left the locked facility. Yeah, he's unable to leave the facility. He doesn't have access to a car. There's no way he's the murderer. Let me, like, this happens too often. Well, it's like, who's monitoring the calls at the mental hospital? This right. should not be a thing. Number one, how do you get, I mean, I guess you get a phone book and anybody can get their number at the time. Right, but like the urge to right. do this prank comes up often yeah. on the show. And I think it's so cruel. Yes. Because not only is it, I mean, it's cruel, obviously, to what you're doing emotionally to the family, but it's wasting everyone's fucking time. Right. And money and resources. Like, what is that urge to you know, tease people like that and give them either false hope or just be mean? Like, what is that? I mean, obviously, this person has like mental mental health issues, and you just wonder, like, if like he hasn't had anything exciting in his life in twenty years, and he's going to do this. Like, he's just yes. a mean, bad, bad guy. You know, yeah. I blame the hospital. It's like somebody should be watching this guy. This right. should not, like, this should not be allowed to happen. So the cops finally, finally start looking into Candy Montgomery because remember, she's yes. the last person to see Betty alive. Candy told Betty's husband that she was at the house the morning of the murder to get a bathing suit for Betty's daughter Elisa. Yes. So. The cops talk to Candy, and does Candy have a story for them? She has a very exquisitely detailed yeah. recap of her entire day on June 13th. She's so helpful, fam. She is so helpful. It was so hot. It was yeah. such a hot day. So she was teaching Bible school. Yeah. She tells them it was a very hot day, so she left vacation Bible school to pick up a bathing suit from Betty so Elisa could go swimming with them later. Candy says she and Betty visited for a little bit, but when she left, Betty seemed fine. Then Candy subsequently returned to church. Candy goes back to church to teach the little ones about love. Yes. And the fucking commandments or whatever. Of course. And that's it. Candy really doesn't have much to add to what the cops already know. They take her fingerprints. They send her out of their way. No. I wonder if you're Candy, are you like wondering, you obviously shouldn't intentionally leave any fingerprints at the scene, but I would think if I'm Candy, when they take my fingerprints, I'm nervous. Well, she put, she was at the house anyway. Yeah, that's true. She was at Bible school. That's true. Went to the house, she chatted with Betty. The scene. Yeah, that's right. What's the harm in a couple of fucking fingerprints? That's right. I mean, yeah. she's just, she's just a, she's a lovely person. So the next thing that happens is the medical examiner releases Betty's autopsy. Oof. And it's revealed, obviously, that it was this extremely violent attack that she endured. The ax marks on Betty accounted to 41 total ax marks, 28 times in the head. Because of this gross overkill, the medical examiner was quickly convinced that the assailant is probably someone who knew her and that the motive was primal, it was jealousy. They say the motive was primal, it had to be jealousy. So they're like, it's Alan, right? It's almost always the husband, let's talk to him. He is, something's off with Alan, what's going on? Let's haul him something's in. Something's, but we know that he was out of town. Like, we know he was in Dallas. He spoke to every neighbor on the block. Right. You know, so at the very least, it wasn't him in person. Yeah, well, let's dive into that, though, because yeah. he was away on business, and Betty didn't love all the traveling. Like, she was right. having a hard time getting used to it. She's, she's working, she's raising two kids. He's out like, of town a lot. I think about, like, this is like, 
me and Steve, I travel all the time. We only have one kid and yeah. Steve's alone at home with her a lot. And she's almost 10. Like she can do a lot of things for herself and it's still hard. Yeah. And Betty's got a newborn and she's got like the older kid. Like that is really hard. And working on top of it, plus all of her volunteer. I, I, as a parent, yeah. I really felt this. And on top of that, she had postpartum depression. Yeah. And she was on medication for it. So that was also hard on the relationship. Yeah. And Betty was also like just all of these stressors. And on top of that, she was worried that she was pregnant again. And yeah. she just like didn't have like room for that on her very, very overcrowded plate. Right. So here's what happened that morning. Alan and Betty had breakfast together. He leaves for Minneapolis. The police confirmed that Alan was actually on the business trip. Hotel yes. records and plane tickets and phone records and all that. Like he was there. But they're like, right, but could he have killed Betty and then went on the trip and right. then like sent the neighbors to the house to discover this horrible scene? Because we don't know, we don't have a time of death for Betty. So it could have happened early in the morning before he left. Right. But then it's like, would he really subject his daughter Bethany to to be alone and suffer for all that time. Well, you have to believe if you're evil enough to to hack somebody to death forty eight times and plan it, yeah, and then act like the grieving husband on the phone. A one hundred percent. And they're like, yeah, he didn't do it in person, but like he's still hiding something. Like, what is going on with Alan? Yeah. So they ask him if he knows anyone who might have wanted to hurt Betty. No, no you know? enemies. He asked. They ask him if there were any affairs. Absolutely he says absolutely not. not. Never. And they ask if he'll take a polygraph to confirm all of this, and he says yes and they take his fingerprints and ask him to return the next day for the polygraph so the next morning rolls around yeah and alan he's he's had some time to think it over i don't think alan slept a wink that night i think he was pacing (laughs) yeah sweating yeah he calls the cops and not to mention like dealing with his two traumatized fucking children right you would hope and his trauma hopefully and his whole life that's a nightmare now right so alan calls the cops and says you know how i told you i had not had an affair outside my marriage I did have an affair. But Alan's not done confessing. He says, with Candy Montgomery. Remember when I told you I didn't have an affair? Remember that little tidbit? Mm, Mm. I I did have an affair. And here's, oh, you sitting down? Here's what's really going to get you. I was having an affair with Candy Montgomery, the last person to see my wife alive. Is that I should, uh, before I take the polygraph, Uh saying that everything was great in our marriage, should probably let you know. And so this is where I start to have questions with Alan. Because Alan immediately confirms that the affair ended eight months earlier. And, but, and also, that's why Alan was acting so weird. Well, because he was he was, he was was lying, he was very scared that this moment was going to come. Right. That he was going to be outed, that they had this affair. But is he worried that he was going to be outed, that he had the affair, or is he worried that this woman that he had the affair with killed his wife? And, I think I think he's got to get to one. Yes. I think this is a little bit of like a, like a ladder. Like, uh-huh. he's just like, wait a second, I have to tell them about the affair. Because the reason he's worried about telling them about the affair is because he knows there's, a, there's something yet Yelling at him. Yeah. She did this. Right. Because we're going to learn about their affair. It doesn't sound that hot and heavy and it doesn't sound that romantic, but I think it's a lie. Yeah, it's... So here we okay, go. Okay, okay. So Alan conf- Alan claims that the affair ended eight months earlier, but the cops don't really believe it. But he passes the polygraph test at the very least that he didn't commit the murder. Yeah, and based on the evidence, like this was not a murder for hire. Alan didn't do it. Alan right now is only guilty of having an affair with Candy, right? Right, because I'm kind of like, well, what, did he collude with Candy to kill her because of the affair? So I'm like, all right, she was the last person to see Betty and she was sleeping with her husband. Can we haul her ass back in, please? Exactly. I have a couple questions for Betty. Yes. So they do that. They talk to Candy, they confront her about the affair, and she's like, oh God, of course, did you not know about the affair? <laughs> she admits to her right I thought away. I was so clear about that, no? And lays it all out, because yeah. this affair was all business. Yeah, because this is like the Steve Tiptonist affair, if she, ever there was one. If Steve were ever going to have an affair, it would go down exactly like this. So here's what, she was super bored yes. with her husband. She went to Alan directly, would you like to have an affair with me? Yeah. Alan said, you know what? <laughs> yes, I would. I absolutely would. My they, wife's a drag since having that second kid. Like, her you know postpartum I mean? depression is right. really bringing me down. So like I'm making a joke, but I don't mean it to be funny no, at no, all. No. Like I, like it's like can't like Betty is suffering, right. and he's like she's a real drag now. Yeah, in like the I'll totally have some afternoon delight with exactly. You, so they discuss the terms. They negotiate the terms of the affair because what they both agree Steve on. Steve would have a spreadsheet. Yeah, the rules basically stated that they wouldn't get attached to each other. The cost of the affair would be shared equally, and they would meet on weekdays when their spouses were at work. They would evenly split all costs: <laughs> dinners, is, motel rooms, etc. They would et evenly split 
all the costs. Like, come like, on. Oh, like, 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 like trading receipts. Yeah. And then they would only meet on the weekdays when their spouses were at work. Yeah. So they, their place of choice was the Como Motel. Oh, my God. Candy would make a picnic lunch and then she would, like, invoice Alan for <laughs> going to the store. <laughs> for the meat and cheese. Yeah, right. They'd bang. And uh-huh. then they'd, like, shake hands and move on with their day. She would invoice Alan. It is. It you is, know she came with. I know. How, did you finish that yogurt? Okay, because. So I bought. Yep. The, the bologna was on sale. <laughs> I know you like ham. I got bologna and cheese and the Wonder Bread. Also, I'm almost out of mustard. I'd appreciate it. Oh, my God. It. I mean, that's how it's presented, and that I it was down to the scent. And it was very, like, all business. No, it was just the, I guess, candy. They She was suffering in her marriage sexually, I guess. The point is, I they just th- wanted to get off, and they had this agreement. And I don't that. imagine the sex was passionate. It was uh, like, I don't think so. Yes, Alan. Yes, give yes. it to me. Uh, Do it like that. Uh, Do it. Yes, mommy loves it. Uh, give it to mommy just like that, Alan. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Boobs. I know boobs. Boobs. Uh, oh, I'm so five eight zero zero eight. <laughs> boobs. <laughs> so that's boobs on a ca- on a calculator. Fan. Yeah, but then and so like that was going on for a little bit, and yeah. Candy's like, eventually we were just kind of over it. It was because <laughs> it was pretty boring, as you've heard. Uh, we mutually decided just, to end it. No harm, no foul. I gotta say too, they make the picnic lunches because neither one of them wants to spring for an actual meal at a yes. restaurant. They don't want to actually pay the gratuity. But the thing is, though, I think that makes sense when you're trying to hide something from someone. I guess because so. if you're yeah. spending all this money going out to fancy dinners and fancy, like, I think Candy very like manipulatively was saying, well, here's what I can do for my budget. Uh-huh. And Alan could say, well, I can't put like a fancy lunch on the credit, uh-huh. the business card. You know, like it yeah. was a way. It's like, you guys, why, why do you even need a meal? Just if you know what I mean, just go for the hour. You know what I mean? But like it's, it's everyone's lunch break. Uh-huh. They really were trying because they, the, one of the rules was that they only uh-huh. met on weekdays when their spouses yep. were at work. So they had from 12 to one. You're right. They do need some nourishment. They had I a guess. lot going on because then yeah. it's like, because candy, I think she's incredibly manipulative yeah so i think like she needs to can't she can't be seen she doesn't want anyone to be like candy i saw you having lunch at 2 p.m you usually have lunch at noon she right. just wants yeah, to yeah, you know yeah. she yeah. can't have a late lunch because she was humping Boinking. alan yeah yeah yeah. it just seems like it just seems like a lot of planning and a lot like the sex is like the afterthought they got to get all their receipts tallied right make sure nobody spent a penny more than the other and the cops are like Hmm. Okay, yeah. so they don't 100% believe it. And they're like, all right, so we it confirmed a fair by both of them. Yes. Candy was the last person to see Betty. Yep. Uh, we don't really have anything on her. And the, the someone's just like, knock, knock, knock. Hey, uh, actually, you do, because we have the fingerprints back. Right. Sergeant Cron is able to find more than enough matching characteristics between the two prints. He confirmed that the right thumb on the inked print was the same as the bloody thumbprint. Then Candace Montgomery became the party of interest for this homicide. Not the fingerprints on the door, which no. she could be like, I was there to pick up the bathing suit. No, no, no. A yes. bloody fingerprint matches Candy's fingerprint. Which we say, like, you would think too, uh, Candy, who definitely did this, was obviously in some kind of blind rage and was not thinking. Because, like, there was so much blood and the fingerprint is smeared on the, it's almost as though in the in the midst of, like, striking Betty, she slipped in the blood and fell against yes. the freezer. I think that's exactly what but happened. But then forgot that she did it. Like, I'm just thinking, if I if they're taking my fingerprint, I'm very nervous. Yes. So here's what the cops have. They have the the matching fingerprint, Candy's yeah. matches, the footprint, which is the same size as Candy. Yeah. Candy was the last person to see Betty alive. She was having an affair with Betty's husband. Yeah. And so the motive is that she wants to get rid of Betty so she can have Alan for herself. Now, Candy obviously did this. I'm not so sure about that motive. It was the least sexy affair I have ever heard of. And it ended months ago. Yes. So, I, yeah, I, I don't know. But... They want to speak to Candy again, and this is where Candy lawyers up. But she does it in a pretty interesting way because she gets her two church friends <laughs> right. who've never tried a criminal case I or know. have any experience in a homicide case. So Don Crowder is Candy's lawyer. He's a friend from church, never tried a criminal case. And Robert, who's with us today, was three years out of law school. He's like, I've never done anything like this. But Candy trusted them right. because they were from the church. Well, they sit down and Candy tells them the story. And they're like, you know, look, we were looking for holes in her story, but she was just a small little person. There's no way she could have lifted the axe. She, she couldn't have done this. Yeah. Her arms are too weak. Her brain is too small. <laughs> she's a woman. You know, she's a woman, right? <laughs> has that has not, been, not been made clear. She was like a girl not that long ago. So uh, let's all pipe down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It okay? could not have been It was her. clearly... The Shining copycat killer. It, right, 
Obviously. Right. Who's clearly a man My who's capable of murder. Is innocent. Innocent. Where's Jack Nicholson right now? Right. Call him in here. I gotta talk to him. So it's June 27th, 1980. It's two weeks after Betty's murder. Police issue an arrest warrant for 29-year-old Candy Montgomery. 29? I know. That was like, that was the jump scare of it all. She looks like a 50-year-old woman. Her, that hair is not doing her any favors. <laughs> no. Why did perms become a thing? Why did anybody think a perm would, like, it didn't look good on anybody. Well, because she's arrested and all the cameras are there. And that that famous photo of her, like, yeah. if you know what Candy Montgomery looks like, it's that photo with the big, like, 70, 1980, yes. late yes. 70s glasses and that hairdo, which is just like. Yeah. Woof. I mean, it's it's literally I, like, why the movie got made. Like, Jessica Biel in that wig, it's ridiculous. Yeah, and also they had Elizabeth Olsen play her in the other one. Oh, shit. Yeah, really? Yeah. yeah. So Why are these movies just getting made now? This happened This happened in 1980. They came out, like, last, maybe, like, 2023-ish, but they were... They came out like, years ago. But they came out, like, at the same time. Yeah. It was very strange. Like, Remember when the Amy Fisher movie, the, all oh, three of them came out the same God. week? It was Alyssa Milano, Drew Barrymore, and somebody else. No one's ever They were all of. TV movies? All TV movies, they all came out the same week. Jeez. Isn't that wild? That sucks. Better planning networks. Or, like, please, just like, oh, I, we'll do that. We'll grab the money first. Yeah. And I, I don't mean to, like, look shame but it's just like it's such a, a blast from the past hairdo oh, and yeah. it's such it's, an odd it's such an odd style yes. that even then I don't think many people were doing <laughs> no. it was just it's a very tight perm <laughs> yeah. it's just very strange I'm trying to imagine you with that haircut now and it would age you by like 30 years right so they strip search candy which yeah. is standard they say they found a lot of bruises on her but also her left middle toe had a large gash in it that appeared that had been cut including a very large gash on her toe. Right. Then we just jump like four, because we'll get back to that. Yeah. But four months after Betty's murder, Candy's on trial for the murder of Betty Gore. Which again is also like that that one that we just did, because I think that she must have exercised her right to a speedy trial, because four months later, like there's no, no, yeah. like no one is prepared. Right. Candy's pleading not guilty. She's yeah. claiming self-defense. And what she's saying, which is huge for people because she's admitting that she did this. I was just going to say, so like her own defense team who was saying, well, when she told us the story, we're like, there's no way it could be her because there's no way that anybody could like. She's a, wo it's, she's a woman. <laughs> like, have we been clear about that? I, I told you she was a lady. Like, she's an idiot and she's weak. <laughs> like, know. what? No, but now she's admitting. She's like, I absolutely did kill Betty Gore. No and, question and about I it. And I killed her with that axe. Yeah. And yes, I left a little baby crying all day long. And yep. yes, I did it in self-defense. Yep. Does anyone have any questions? And everyone's like, yeah, about a million, Candy. Yeah. And also, 41 hits with an axe is not self-defense. No. I don't care what happened. No, because finally what it comes down to is you're saying it's self-defense, but you're still, the overkill is one thing. You went and took a shower. You washed up. She like acknowledges that she went and took a shower while this baby is screaming bloody murder, and, literally. And where'd she go after? Went back to Bible study right. to teach Elisa. Right. Betty's daughter, more Bible study, and then Elisa slept over Candy's house. She just killed her mother. And like and left the baby there like indefinitely. Right. And like also all of that is horrendous, makes you a monster. And lied for weeks. But also did not go to the cops. Right. If you kill somebody in self-defense, the very first fucking thing you do is call 911. She was one of the first people they spoke to because right. she was the last person to see her alive. Yeah. She lied for months. Yeah. I mean, like, and just and like I understand like if if like she fled the scene and she was confused, like she's like no one's going to believe me that it was self-defense. But, like, I'm sorry, your instinct after mauling your best friend yes. to death is going to be to call the police to explain that you just had to, you had to kill somebody in self-defense. You know what I mean? And take the baby. And take the like baby. Like, you left the baby. The baby could have died. And then now you're, you're all washed up so that Elisa... Betty's daughter doesn't notice a hair out of place or blood on you when you go back to teach her Bible study. Yeah. Like, this woman's a monster. So, but even worse, the prosecution thinks it's a slam dunk. And I'm like, oh, right. God. It never, no. Well, and even more, they think it's a slam dunk because Betty's taking the stand. And she's the first witness. Yeah, she's like her the first witness in her own defense. So here's what Candy says on the stand. Yeah. Candy does go over for the bathing suit for Elisa. Betty out of the clear blue sky, confronts Candy about the eight-month-old affair because they had stopped the affair eight months ago. Right? right. Out of nowhere, Betty then appears with an axe right. and starts approaching Candy. In the utility room. Like, corners her in the utility room. And Candy apparently says, no, 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 the affair's over. Like, you have it all wrong. He meant nothing to me. Betty, this is all according to Candy. Betty charges at Candy. She's swinging and swinging. Betty's attacking Candy. And every time Candy tried to run away, Betty was able to like catch her and grab her and like drag her back yeah. into this utility room with the freezer. 
So Candy is now begging Betty to stop. Oh, my, p- Betty, please stop. Please stop. As she's begging Betty to stop, Candy says that Betty shushes her and goes, shh. This triggers something in Candy. Candy begins hitting her. In Candy's, her mind's going to, you know, I, I can't keep her down. I can't get out of here. And she just r- literally hit her until she was too tired to swing that axe anymore. Her own lawyer says she hit her until she was too tired to swing. Yes. Because of the shushing. Then Candy, we'll get back to the shushing. Don't worry. Yeah. We're not, don't <laughs> worry. Uh, then again, so she cleaned up. Left the baby and but went by back cleaned to teach- up, By cleanup, she took a shower. She took a shower. She took a shower. Left her DNA all over the place. Yeah. So you're telling me she snapped and then snapped right out of the snapping? Right. No. And doesn't think to call the cops or make sure the baby... Now, just to, like, I know I'm focused on the baby. That that well, Nobody, like, as far as Candy knew, nobody was going to, like, nobody was going to come tend to that baby for 24 hours. And, like, when that was Alan could getting die home? in that time. Like, when was Alan supposed to... Alan left that morning. He was right. gone for a few days. Yeah. Candy. The baby could easily have died. No question. Yeah. Unless she said, well, Alan will call her. Right. Like, unless she knew, she's only going to be screaming, what, for 12 hours? At 12, That's 13 fine. hours, Like, yeah. honestly, that, that must have been, because I think she calcu- she is very calculated. Yeah. And she thinks of how to get out of things, and she tries to, like, play chess. Oh, my God. And I God. think she knew... In the moment, I'll leave the baby because Alan will definitely call. And then call a neighbor to find out where Betty is. Like, yeah. I think she thought the baby will be tortured for 12 hours, but it'll be fine. But it'll be fine. I mean, really. Yeah. yeah. So the defense has like these experts to explain away the fact that Candy hit Betty 41 times with an axe. Yes. And the guy gets up there and he talks about how Candy was suffering from dissociative reaction. And that's fine. That's a real thing. Sure. I get it. But here's what this guy does to prove that. Yeah. He puts Candy under hypnosis. Uh-huh. And this is where we, Candy is also learning about this, uh, <laughs> right. learning about this deep-seated <laughs> trigger that she had because Candy just didn't like being shushed. Yeah. Who does? Right. Let's be <laughs> real. Wow. So you suddenly, suddenly on Candy's side. Well, don't even. <laughs> but like what I'm saying is that does not, 40, that being shushed does not equal No, because the story the that we get is that when Candy was four, and this is a repressed memory that Candy doesn't even know is there. That when Candy was four years old, Candy took a jar and broke it and some of the glass flew up and hit Candy in the head and she started bleeding and screaming like a four-year-old child will do. And her mother, well, she shushed her until her shh and told her that what will people think if they hear you screaming? Her mother is like more concerned with Candy being quiet and not making a scene. Right. So she's shushing her. Then, then she's more concerned with that than like, than helping Candy taking or care taking her. care of her. Now, I am no expert in repressed memories. I'm not saying how real or not real this is. Yeah. I, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not, I, I know that people disassociate. I completely understand that. It's the aftermath that makes me know that Candy's a monster. Right. Because of leaving the baby, because of cleaning up, because of letting Elisa sleep over, right. because of because of lying to everyone for months and months. Like, I'm not discounting the fact that has this happened before that someone snaps and you don't even know where you are and you black out? Yes, yeah. that's trauma, that's panic. I understand that. But it's everything she did after. Right. That makes it like, I'm not really, it makes it harder for me to believe yeah. that the shushing. It's also like the, like Betty's going to attack you with an axe. And it also paints Betty as this, like, this evil, like, shh. Right, yeah. Like, she, like, that is a creepy thing that someone who's totally in control of the situation would do. Exactly. So either Betty snapped because of the affair and is, like, like, trying to kill you with this axe, but then she had enough control to, like, do this very triggering thing. Like, Candy, your story doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. And that should be no problem, right? Because the jury is going to hear this and know that this is all complete bullshit. Right, like, separately, maybe I could say, no, but all together, this is, like, the prosecution's right. It is slam dunk, right? Wrong, everybody. Wrong! (laughs) After a week of testimony, both sides rest, and the jury deliberates. We expected it to be a long deliberation, but it was just a couple hours, and the jury came back with a verdict. The verdict was not guilty by reason of self-defense. 
The jury buys it. The jury's out for like 90 minutes. They thought it was going to be days and days and days. Because they're like, yeah. she's a woman. I know. How exactly. is she lifting that axe? But like, that's my question is like, I would love to hear from the jury and say like, what are you believing? What are you thinking? Like, you, you fully believe... Obviously, I think that Candy's a monster. I think that this was a cold-blooded, premeditated murder, right. whatever. But, like, I guess I can see it. Like, if you're the jury, you would be very confused about why would she beat this woman 48 fucking... She must have snapped. That's that's the other thing about it, too. Yeah. But to me, it's like... And again, I'm not an expert. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there is an instance where she could snap and then snap out of that being but, snapped to then lie to everyone. But, the, but then you have to believe that Betty attacked her with an axe, which I just don't believe. Right. I don't believe that either. But like then she snapped out of it enough to take a shower. Uh-huh. I feel like if you snap and then you do this thing, you're sort of like wandering aimlessly and someone finds you in the middle of the road exactly. at 12.45 in the afternoon saying, Candy, what the hell happened? And she's like, I don't know. I snapped. I blacked out. Right. Like, that's not what's happening. She was just manipulating people and lying. And I, but so I, like, where's the... I do. I can also see the jury being like, but it also does doesn't seem like Candy was that into Alan. So yes. why would she murder her for this man she doesn't even like that yeah. much? You know? But so I can see there being... I can see the, a jury saying... I think she did it, and I think she's crazy, but I, there's enough reasonable doubt here yeah. for me to say, like, I guess I can't really convict her of, like, premeditated murder. But, like, she should be, get some, but she admitted that she did it. Yes. So for her, like, not even murder two, not even manslaughter, uh -huh. not, like, she just gets off scot-free? And But we also don't get any information here, because we do learn there are cases where, like, it's one or, it's either guilty and they're getting the electric chair, right, or right, it's right. innocence, yeah. you know? Because, I, I mean, that was Texas in the 70s. Yeah. She was not, I mean, they put her to, I mean, right? Like, yeah. Yeah, She'd get a pretty hefty sentence, 100%. So she's found not guilty by reason of self-defense. When the verdict was read, there was a roar in the courtroom. Nobody in that courtroom believed that verdict. I don't even know if the defense attorney believed the verdict. People just cannot believe it. And they didn't deliberate very long. It's not like the jury agonized over this for days and days. It was like 90 minutes. It was 90 minutes. Yeah. I just... So, like, the... Betty's family just says it was crushing. Like, there was no justice for Betty at all. Like, zero consequences for Betty. Not even anything about leaving the child endangerment. Right. Lie, obstruction of justice because yeah. you lied. Like, not, like nothing. She nothing. got nothing, which is fucking insane. No, and they say that, like, shortly after the trial, Candy and Pat, her husband and their kids, moved to Georgia. Candy and Pat eventually get a divorce. Shocking. She goes back to school and becomes a mental health counselor. Are you kidding? I know. I know. Within months of the verdict, Alan got remarried. Which is wild. Because it's not like, sometimes these trials are years after, and yeah. then I, that would make a little more sense. This was four months after the murder. And then within months, so within a year, he was married. Yeah. Again. Alan seems like the type of guy who can't make himself a bowl of cereal. That is 100% And true. I think he got married because he needs, like, a homemaker. Yeah, yep. He needs an MRS or whatever. <laughs> but Which is so crazy because it's like, I know you're smart, Alan. Uh-huh. Like, on paper, you made the calculator. Right. You invented that, that famous that, calculator. That drug game that, that made Jillian fail out of high school. Graphic calculator. <laughs> yeah, like, whatever. Um, so it's like, but he just can't, he just needs, like, something yeah. to be taken care of or whatever. But, like, this totally totally creates a rift within like he is not getting along with Betty's family and like like I think more so Betty's family's not getting along with him but the they daughters like him. the daughters go and live with the, Betty's family like they leave their own dad yeah eventually what I think, a piece of shit that and, guy must be and I think there was just so much tension uh -huh. between them because it says eventually that Bethany and Elisa went to live with Betty's family and this is like I think this is a little bit of a disjointed doc. Like yeah. it's very victim focused, which I love, but there are certain things like I wish they would have told us exactly what the charges were so that it's like all or nothing. Things yes. like that. Yeah. Yeah. But we end on Pat, the sister-in-law. Yes. She's great. She's great. And she goes, I personally continue to tell this story because I don't want Candy to have peace. I want the light to be shined on her and her actions, her past so that she fools no one in the future. I want the light to be shined on her and her actions and her past. And I don't want her to fool anyone in the yeah. future. And like, I don't want Candy to have peace. Like, I just found that so powerful. Yeah. It's, you know, we, we, we're told that the girls go on and have very productive, great lives. They're very close with their, with Betty's side of the family. And Candy, I looked her up and there's like very little information out there about her. Yeah. She changed her name. I think, yeah. I guess smartly, Right. but like, <laughs> I don't want to give her any credit for anything, obviously. No. Cause like Pat, I don't want her to know peace either. No, but Candy. Bye. <laughs> 
Oh, girl, we did People Magazine Investigates. Candy and Betty. Or, more appropriately, The Murder of Betty Gore. The Murder of Betty Gore. Like, My on. God. I know. So horrible. Um, Fam, join the Facebook group. Get in there. Hang out with us. I'm in there every day. I'm posting funny, silly things. I'm commenting on everybody's stuff. It's oh, just right. so fun to like make, <laughs> make friends. That's where we're connecting with the Salt Lake City Facebook group where they're doing their brunches. And I oh, like great. to see all the stuff that's going on. It's so great. Fun. Amazing. Join us on Patreon. We are adding all these live events. We did Drag Bingo. We're doing it again next month. We're yep. doing um, a happy hour next month, too, which yeah. is going to be so fun. There's like a magic show happening, I So think. in March, we're going to do a magic show. We've, I found this amazing magician in Chicago. I'm going to go. I think we're getting a theater, and we're going to do like trick. Like she's oh, gonna, my God. It's all going to be live on the page. It's just going to be like me and her on the stage. You'll be like pinned on the Zoom, too. Okay, great, great, great. So you can like laugh at me and make fun of me <laughs> okay, for not cool. knowing how things happen. I just want to pick a card. Yeah. And fam, I want to hear your ideas. What are, what are more live things like this that we could do? We're working on putting together a live comedy night that we're going to do via Zoom. Great. I want to hear all the stuff that you want to do. Drag Bingo is here to stay. The yeah. prizes are amazing. And that's just extra stuff. This is The Patreon is also where you get one full ad-free bonus episode every freaking week. Yeah, so it's like the regular feed episodes ad-free and then all the series like Love Has Won and yeah. Natalia Grace and, and Wild Crime and Bad Look, Vegan, all that stuff. Love Has Won, which is the culty one from Max. It is wild. It is, it is wild yeah. and crazy. And then Natalia Grace, I started to watch episode one and I cannot believe what I'm seeing. It's a mess. I know. It's all a mess. <laughs> it's all a mess, everybody. What are we doing next? So we're doing a documentary also on Max called Devil in the Ozarks. Oh, yeah. all right, great. Well, stay tuned for the trailer for that, fam. We love you. All right, we love you. Um, our funny and hilarious outtakes, if there are any. This was crazy. This was crazy. Cut crazy. All right, we love you. We love you. Bye. Bye. This is the story of one of the most evil and dangerous criminals I have ever prosecuted because the person does not at first appear to be that way. He was right there and nobody knew. I heard what I thought was someone had fired a rifle. He took a lot away from us. Sometimes I still tell myself it's not real, that that didn't happen. I'll never forget what I have seen. You know, it's just disgusting to think that one man has that much power to do that. If he's not a psychopath or a sociopath, they're going to have to redefine the term. just do one of these where the guy made his, his divorce attorney his criminal offense? Oh, yeah, one of our bonus apps. Yeah. The 48 Hours one. Where, right. And then that lawyer was so horrible about women. Because and she, she was a woman. And she was a woman, yeah. Like, stop doing this. Get real lawyers. She's also a very active member of her local parish. It's the Lucas Methodist Church. Yeah, and that was sort of like the, the social aspect of this very small town, right? Yeah. So, like, it's she... It's why I would not thrive there. No. I not mean, she... I don't love a church. I love a church, but I just don't know how the church feels In, about like, 1977, me. I don't know. Oh, In great. Texas, I don't know. <laughs>